Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry. Welcome to the show. As always, this is my intrepid co-host. I am Chris Huddleston. And today, man, we are so excited to be talking to you about one of our all-time favorite uh, thriller-chiller horror movies, John Carpenter's The Thing. discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, and it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? We can beat one of those things! Great trailer. Let's get right into this. Do you have a synopsis for us, Chris? I do. I do. A U.S. research research station in Antarctica, early winter 1982. The base is suddenly buzzed by a helicopter from the nearby Norwegian research station. They're trying to kill a dog that has escaped from their base. After the destruction of the Norwegian chopper, the members of the U.S. team fly to the Norwegian base only discover, to discover them all dead or missing. They do find the remains of a strange creature the Norwegians burned. The Americans take it to their base and deduce that it is an alien life form. After a while, it is apparent that the alien can take over and assimilate into other life forms, including humans, and can spread like a virus. This means that anyone at the base could be inhabited by the thing, and tensions escalate. So this was directed, as you said, by John Carpenter, and most notably stars Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, Keith David and some other character actors. So, so Chris, what is your history with this movie, and what did you think about rewatching it? Sure, I, I I will say I'll put the ball back in your court for one second. I know you have seen it several times. Several, several. I this may be the third time I've seen it, but it's actually probably the second time that I've seen it. Okay. Um, and you know, so I saw it closer to when it was released if not that year i didn't go see it in the theaters but it was definitely like a video rental i did uh at some point um so it was great to revisit this i mean i rem- the parts that i remembered were still burned into my mind but there was a lot that i had forgotten about this movie and um yeah i mean it's just a favorite i remember when i first saw it how uh, so, so we we'll just for those of you who maybe haven't listened to this before, uh, we're going to spoil everything. We're going to tell you what happens. We're going to talk in detail about this and that effect. So if you haven't seen the thing and you want to come at it fresh, I recommend you do so. I recommend you do so because it's it's even today it feels um, unique. Uh, but I will say that, you know, so when I so that being said, when I first saw it, I was shocked by a lot of the you know, effects and the body horror. Um, and I didn't feel shocked this time. And I think there's two reasons for that. One, my subconscious already knew, what, you know, already had seen it. And two is I think this had an effect on how the this particular, you know, branch of the horror genre dealt with body horror and um and in many ways many films have tried to sort of top this in various ways and 
there's some homage to this. But when I first saw this way back when, I, I remember it really knocked me over because I was just like, oh, my God, some of it is so upsetting. And um, it, it, that is that is strengthened by the fact that this thing doesn't really follow um, or I'm eager for your feedback on this. It doesn't feel like it follows a uh, traditional kind of arc of the three act structure. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a bunch of guys up in the snow and something crazy happens and it crazy things continue to happen. Nobody really knows. There's not a hero driving a plot forward to you know. It's mm-hmm. not Frodo trying to get the ring to Mount Doom. It's not. Luke trying to save the princess from the right. It's just these guys trying to figure out what they're dealing with here. And what they're dealing with is something that turns them on each other. So I think I read one review that said something like this is uh, this is more a portrait of, um, you know, the male psyche under crisis than it is mm-hmm. a movie about aliens. Uh, and it does feel like that. It feels like a bottle episode because they're just all in this one place and or there's a game my kids played called Among Us, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, do you know this? They they play this online. Yeah, in, I've not in, played it. I don't really. Is it kind of the same thing where it's like somebody's the bad guy and you have to figure out who it yeah. is or something like that? Okay. Yeah, exactly. But you don't know. You don't know who it is, and so it's it's this paranoia game of trying to figure out which one of you is the imposter and actually, you know, not on the same team. But uh, I, so I'm blathering along. What you know? You talk for a while. So this is a movie I can't really be objective about because I, I love it so much. Uh, and I saw that, as you said, I've, I've seen this many times. I don't know how many, you know, maybe I'm, I'm sure I've seen it easily over a dozen times. I've maybe seen it 20 times. I don't know. I didn't, uh, I didn't catch this until I was probably in high school. This is one, a lot of these movies like this, I, I caught at my grandmother's house and, and you've brought this up before about how you like uh, when you go to visit your parents, you know, you're up late, everybody else has gone to bed and you're watching, you know, watching TV or whatever. And there were a lot of these movies right. like this where it was like everybody had gone to bed and, you know, back then they used to show ABC or CBS or whatever. They would show these movies on regular TV. So I wow. saw this you know, I late. was probably, yeah, late. I was probably 16, 17 years old, something like that. And again, like you said, I was just blown away. Um, and it, you know, it became one of my favorites and I've watched it over and over again. I actually got to see this in 2019 in Salem, Massachusetts, uh, during Halloween time at, at a festival there. So that was cool because I had never seen it on the big screen. And one, one little tidbit, this is a thing where you movies that you've seen over and over again at home and then you go and see it in the theater you always catch things that you've never noticed before and one thing that i had never seen the doctor who they just called doc he has a nose ring and now i can't it's like one of those things you can't unsee it so watching this you know at home on my tv last night it's like wow you can really i don't know why the guy has a nose ring it's just there but but I like the uh, I like the simplicity of the to me, this movie is really great screenwriting because you're only given enough information about these guys and what's going on to propel the, the plot forward. They're at a research station. We don't really know why. I mean, is there ever any explanation as to what they do there? I don't know. Nope. You know, some of them nope. are scientists, some are doctors uh kurt russell's character mccrady he's a pilot but we don't need an eight-part miniseries about how he was a pilot in vietnam you know and all this he's just a pilot right one of the guys just smokes weed all the time we don't even know what his job is but he's just high you know all through the movie so i love that just that simplicity of it and like you kind of alluded to None of these, they're just guys. None of them are superheroes. You know, Kurt Russell is obviously the lead. And even though this is an ensemble, but he's the lead and he's the hero, but he's just a guy that's doing what he has to do to survive, you know? Right. And I've always been drawn to, you know, being an 80s kid, I loved 
Stallone and Arnold and, and, you know, all those movies, but they were, you know, they were superheroes. They were bigger than life. Kurt Russell and these other guys are just, they're just guys. And again, we don't know if there any of them are married or they have families or anything. We just know enough. And with the alien, the, the very opening scene of the film is a spaceship, uh, you know, going across the, through space. I had forgotten that. Yeah. Actually, I had forgotten that that opening sequence, and it doesn't have a time stamp, and mm-hmm. there's no crawl, and there's, there's just Earth and this little disc that kind of go, and then sort of, you don't know if it's crashing or landing or whatever, you just see it, it heads towards Earth. So right from the beginning, you're like, oh, alien, going to Earth. Yeah. But we're not, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, we don't know anything about this alien's planet we don't know what it looks like in its original form you know we just find out by you know they go to the norwegians base and they see where they've removed this big block of ice and and you know and then there's parts where they're watching videotapes and they show where they uh you know have gone through the ice and one of the guys says that he thinks it probably the ice was a hundred thousand years old you know but they're just guessing right so Again, we don't we don't need any of that backstory, and and I like that. I like the secluded um, location, and also this is a movie that, um, and I don't, you know, there's been a lot of these, and I don't, I've always loved them. I don't know why I'm drawn to them, but this is basically Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You know, it's the somebody is the creature, the thing. And nobody can trust each other. And I could watch, you know, one or two new movies a year that are basically just that story. I don't know why, but um, I don't know. What do you think about any of that? Yeah, I agree. I I think so for a movie in which the effects are so central to the punch of it, so central to the horror of it. The alien is amazingly not the point. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's not a movie about an alien. It's a movie about a bunch of guys up against something they don't understand. I mean, I had the thought while you were talking that you know, stripping the kind of horrific element out of the effects and what happens to the bodies, there's a, there's an angle you could look at this like, the alien is the sympathetic character, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if it was a human being that landed on some alien planet and all the aliens were afraid of it and trying to kill the human, you'd root for the human, like trying to figure out a way to just... There's one point where they, you know, they they sequester Wilford Brimley's character and because he sort of smashes stuff up and you don't know if that means he's already been got and he's a bad guy or if he's just kind of going insane and he's realized that none of them, if you do the logic, none of them can leave, right? That's the mm-hmm. only way to really contain this is that no one gets out of here alive. Um, but they sequester him and then we wonder that up until the point where they go in after him for some reason later in the movie, and it looks like he's kind of dug down through the floor. There's a there's a an area underneath, and there's like three quarters of a little spaceship that's been you know built out of salvaged goods and scrap metal and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. and so you're like, oh, so that Wilford Brimley was the alien life form, um, but it's just trying to get off the planet. <laughs> like it's not. It's not there to kill us all, but there's no evidence that it came to Earth to kill us all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just I think it's interesting that it's really an alien movie. I mean, on the face of it, it's an alien movie, but it's more about like what do we do when we don't trust when when we don't know what the rules are and we can't trust each other anymore? What mm-hmm. happens to us? And Kurt Russell is absolutely not a Superman like you were talking about. He does happen to be one of the few guys there that manages to kind of keep his head. Right. Right? I mean, everybody else to varying degrees falls to pieces in their own way. One of them is sort of an older guy who's kind of a trigger-happy, you know. Mm-hmm. It seems to be from the kind of John Wayne uh, generation of like, you know, if it doesn't, you know, if you break your rules, you shoot him. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
and and then there's a you know there's a, at least one character that's smoking a lot of dope and self-medicating and sort of escapist and you know I guess you could there's probably a thesis you could do on this where you go around and you you sort of pick which character you know you're the psychology student but um you know which of these guys is representative of what but early on in the movie uh Kurt Russell is playing a game of chess against a computer Right, he's playing chess on the computer against the computer, and the computer beats him. And he says something like "cheater," and he pours his J and B, pours yeah. it into the computer, <laughs> and it just fries it. Yeah, <laughs> and it it feels, uh, you know, that feels. It's so early in the movie, it feels less like um, it's supposed to be. It's definitely, uh, it's a very broad strokes director statement. And it, it uh, it's less about Kurt Russell's character is this kind of guy, although that's there. It's more like, you know, the te- we we don't the technology can't be trusted, and you don't, you know, our our reliance on technology is has its own built-in fallacy, and technology is not going to save us, right? Technology isn't inherently on our team. At the end of the day, you know, you're left to your own devices and the computer would never pour a scotch on you. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mankind builds these things and then when we when they don't do what we want, we revert to a more primitive state and destroy this expensive, you know, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I don't know why we're going with that. But Sure. Um yeah, I I I also like all of those things. I love the lack of exposition. Yes. Right? So the little bits we get, like I don't know, you know, if I'm just eyeballing it, this ice, I'd say that's at least ten thousand years old or something like that, hundred thousand years old. You know, we don't. There's not a scene where they like have an ice core sample and the computer has nailed it. It doesn't. You know, this guy knows ice. They're up at the research station. Whatever. That's his. Even if he's wrong, you know, it's not. It didn't happen yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> So, so the little things that we anchor ourselves as we try and put together, like, what the heck is this thing? But ultimately, we don't know any more than they do right? about it. And it does do horrific things. And again, it doesn't, not necessarily out of malice. I mean, it woke up. We don't, we just don't know. But you could say it's just trying to survive and it, it, it mimics because that's you know if it showed us its true form, which we never see, uh, it knows that we would kill it. You know, yeah. So it it's trying to get away, and somebody, I guess, the Wilford Brimley character runs a number that's like if this thing gets to the population. But I thought I had the thought, you know, you're making that assumption like it's some sort of an invasion. Like, what if this thing crashed on our planet and is just trying to get back off? You know. And survive long enough or, or survive long enough to get out of this wasteland so it can, you know, get more resources to build a ship. It's not here. So, OK, let me let me change tax attack and ask you a question here um, because it wasn't clear to me. So the cells of this thing can sort of infect like there's one scene where we see the sort of dog morphing and it sprays a jet of like. Oh, and that's, let me interrupt you for just one second. That's something for anybody who hasn't seen this, uh, for people, that's a really, uh, pretty disturbing scene where they, they, so there's a guy who's like the dog handler because they have these huskies or whatever kind of dogs they are. And so he takes the, the thing, which at this point they think is just a dog in with these other dogs and it starts like you said, it starts spraying this stuff and these tentacles and things come out. And for people that are really bothered by animal harm in movies, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's disturbing to watch now. So that's a, just a little, if you haven't seen this and that kind of thing bothers you, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty gnarly, but. It, so. it is an upsetting film. Uh, I, I, I have said it before on this podcast, but I'm, I'm squeamish and I don't like, slasher movies i don't like realistic gore i don't like torture porn you know i don't relish in the the dismemberment of people um and but this one is really like cronenbergy like bodies distorted and it takes the form of it mimics things but it takes it a while so there are these sort of 
intermittent stages where they kind of catch it and it hasn't in full transformation yet. And there are sort of versions of animal and human bodies that are very plastic and twisted and distorted and, you know, and there's a lot of sort of spider leg things that happen, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's upsetting. And when I was younger and first saw it, it really upset me. Yeah. I was delighted that it, I was a little, so much so that I was concerned about watching it again. Um, <laughs> but thankfully it didn't. I was just sort of was able to enjoy it and be like, wow, that really is, that is really something. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it, it can kind of infect, right? They have a, like a little microscope thing at one point or a computer simulation where you see the sort of red cell that is the alien cell and then there's the white cell or something that's the human blood cell and then it sort of absorbs it and takes it over and morphs it. So at the cellular level, it seems to co-opt Earth's living things genetic material, right? Mm-hmm. But... It wasn't – I kind of – my understanding of it kind of broke down. Like it, it mimics us, but could it spread indefinitely or is or was there sort of – there was one it, you know, that it was like, oh, they, they killed this one. Oh, no, now he's over there. He's in that guy now. You know what I mean? It muddied the waters between – you know, at one point, Kurt Russell was wild-eyed and kind of staring around, wondering if, like, they were all actually aliens and he was the only human left. Mm-hmm. So w- w- did, did I misunderstand? It seems to it could sort of spread at the cellular level and metastasize from organism to organism, and it wasn't just a single conscious thing that was, like, hopping from body to body? That's taking a, a different form each time. To be honest, as many times as I've watched it, I never really thought about it that much. But you're right. They have that computer simulation that Wilford Brimley's looking at. I forget what it is, how much time, you know, the computer has simulated that it would take, that it would infect the whole world. But as you said, it watching the movie, you feel like it's just inhabiting one thing at a time, you know, because it's the dog and then it's. You know, and then it's these different men, but it, yeah. So it's it's a little bit confusing as to whether it could could spread, or if it would just jump from person to person. I don't really have an answer for that because I, I never really thought it about it too much. Seem, but you're right. It doesn't seem to ever really be two people or dog and guy at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't ever really seem to be, oh, it's him and it's him. Except that right. we, they discover that Wilford Brimley has actually been, is is alien. While, like, but he's out in the shed. So while they're sort of chasing down another guy, I think it kind of metastasizes and they kill instances of it. Could and be. each time they, they sort of torch somebody that they know because it starts to transform. Mm-hmm. They, um, there's a, there's just a moment of like, did we get it? Is that good? Is that all of it? You know? And then they realize, no, it's spread to somewhere else. So I think it's sort of deliberately ambiguous, but the sense is it's not that metastasizing for metastasizing sake as much as it is just doing whatever it can to survive. And when it has an opportunity to spread, you know, when it's alone, yeah. with another organism, it takes that opportunity because that's hedging its bet of survival. Yeah. And and whether there's a singular consciousness or not, we don't know because we never get to see. And, you know, the alien never gets to a thing and tries to phone home. Or, yeah. You know, we never fo- the camera never follows the alien. The yeah. camera basically follows um, um, Kurt Russell. And you bring, you know, that's a really good point that you brought up about that it's just trying to survive. So in the in the opening of the movie, it's the dog and it's running from this helicopter with these Norwegians in it that are shooting at the, the great dog. performance by that dog by the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that dog. The, the dog does a great job. From the minute you it's running through the snow and it's not creepy, but when they bring it in, the dog is just walking around, it's very still. Silently, the way just it's slowly walking. Yeah, that's creepy. I, yeah. I, was, I was I was noticing that, you know, watching it. It made me night. think of Life Force, the way the actress yeah. walked around like she was just observing like, "Oh, 
they're sta- these are stairs and that yeah. you know they construct walls like really taking nothing for granted just absorbing the world that she finds herself in and the dog is kind of doing that too that's a really good comparison. okay another frozen base you know they so they wear clothes to keep warm you know it's like really i'm projecting onto the dog but the dog is very creepy oh yeah yeah and and another thing along the lines of that that survive so the dog runs in and he jumps up into one of the and it, it jumps up into one of the guy's arms you know like oh you know protect me and then there's a there's a funny scene there's not a lot of humor in this movie but there's a funny scene <laughs> where so they one of the there's a lot of special effects standout scenes in this but there's one where the one guy his heart has stopped and the doctor is pumping his chest and you know they don't they don't know that he's the thing at this point yeah, right. and he does it he pumps a couple of times and like the third time he pumps and the guy's chest opens up and and it's basically kind of like this mouth bites off the doctor's uh, arms and then the, his uh the thing's head starts stretching down the table and spreading and you know there's all these kind of tendrils coming out and the uh so there's all this confusion and they're spraying it uh i I think they they hit it with the blowtorch and then they're spraying it and the head sprouts out these little kind of legs and crawls away (laughs) it's really it's really so there's a like 15 20 you thought that was funny i mean that was really upsetting i mean it's upsetting but it's because the guy's severed head sprouts yeah. these two eye stalks like a crab, which mm-hmm. is gross as hell. I think they come out of the mouth, don't they, or something like that. Yeah. And then just out of the sides of the head, they're really like Alaskan uh, king crab like legs. They're spider legs, but it's like great big segmented uh, arachnid type legs kind of just come out the side of it, and it scuttles away like a crab. But it's a guy's head. And I yeah. remember when I first saw it, I was like, oh, my God, it's so upsetting. Uh, but what's funny about I it mean, is. It's kind of comical looking at it in retrospect. But if you've never seen it before, it's like, well, oh, Jesus. And what's funny about it to me is even all these times that I've seen it, I'd kind of forgotten because I'm sitting there thinking, OK, w- what made me laugh about it is it scurrying away. And I'm like, they don't mm. notice this thing. And then right. the the stone that would pull guy, your focus. Yeah, yeah. But then the 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 guy who stoned all the time and a couple of the other ones, they just turn around and they observe this, you know, thing walking, this head walking away, and the guy just goes, "You got to be effing kidding me," you know. And so that I mean, that's obviously <laughs> you know a line that's meant to be funny, but but yes. that but that plays yeah, in. But you're the, not in a laughing mood at the moment. No, you no. I mean? Like you witnessing that, you're not like <laughs> you're just like oh. But but that but that brings up the uh, what you were saying where it's just it's just trying to get away. It's not like it's trying to. You it know, doesn't sneak around behind them to attack. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's it just trying away. to get out the door to go wherever you know wherever it's going to you know going to go. Well, and he's he's doing chest compressions on the guy, and and you know that. <laughs> I know, you know, we understand that you're trying to save a life when you do that. But from another angle, that is a relatively violent act. I mm-hmm. mean, people break ribs doing that. And it's it's a fairly brute force way of keeping the heart going. And his arms kind of just collapse through the chest that then turns into these, you know, toothy maw and snaps his arms off like, stop doing that. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> and, and then the head is like, eject. And the head just kind of goes... <laughs> I mean, it's just, and then they're distracted because there's a sort of a big eruption of a weird critter that looks kind of like the guy's face. It's utterly disgusting. An alien sort of leaps up and grabs the ceiling and is like, you know, screaming at them. And they torch it while the head's making a getaway. Yeah. Right? That's the same scene that I'm thinking of, yeah? I think so, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So we don't ever see what this thing looks like, and I think the casual viewer might assume that, that the creature looks like that, but really this is just, these are kind of genetic, like, I don't know, you ever watch Rick and Morty? Yeah, I love Rick and Morty. Yeah, so there's a, you know, there's a the, one uh, sort of 
there's one episode in particular, but it's a it actually is a subplot that affects the whole series. Is they he does he tries to make a love serum or something for Morty to take to get the girl, and it ends up kind of Cronen. They call it Cronenberging everyone, and it mm-hmm. <laughs> it infects the whole planet, and they all turn into these kind of blobular, you know, mutations of. They've got crab claws and bulbous protrusions and pus-filled sacks, and it's just fucking disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, the form that this alien, we see it in, and what it does to the human body is like that. It's not skin sloughing off. It's like two versions of a head where the mouth is kind of conjoined. It's It's utterly grotesque, intentionally grotesque. So... Whoever was doing the effects on this thing, you know, and and Carpenter definitely was enthusiastically signing off on this, was breaking new ground with animatronics, but also pushing the envelope, as far as I know, of where body horror had gone up to that point. It's like, you know, what's the most horrifying way where we could disfigure the human body in unexpected and utterly upsetting ways, right? Mm -hmm. And I I think that the movie was enormously successful in that and influenced things like that Rick and Morty episode. Like, I watched Rick and Morty and I thought of The Thing. Uh, You know, I'm sure there are other movies such as, um, that we've talked about here, such as Videodrome and, um, we talked about another one where there's this kind of body dysmorphia in it. Uh, We did The Hidden. Um, the hidden is a bit of that. The critter coming out of the mouth is a bit of that. But for the most part, in the hidden, it's just you know it's the performance of the actor, and it's a thing living inside of him. But gross, you know. Nonetheless, I don't know where I was going sure. with this. Uh, the, but the guy's name who did the effects for this is is Rob Bottin. He al- he also did. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the original, um, The Howling. But he did the effects for that. Oh um, yeah, that was really it, upsetting. Too. The really good, uh, you know, werewolf effects. But one of the things that I like is the effects are really unlike anything that was seen before that, and maybe since. You know, it's not like it doesn't really feel like this was influenced by Alien. You know, Alien. You had the H.R. Giger or H.R. Geiger design, and this stuff right. doesn't really look like that. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff since then where they, it's this very Lovecraftian um, where, you know, they're kind of squid creatures and stuff and this isn't that. So it's, it's, it's a very unique design of everything I feel without being, it's weird, but it's not too weird if that makes sense, you know? It, well, it's based on organic forms we know. Right. But they are juggled and spliced together in ways that are designed to be upsetting, yeah. right? So it's like, you, you know, I don't, I don't know how to talk about this, but there's a, you know, the un, the theory of the uncanny valley or yes. the description that is the uncanny valley. That yeah. a robot in and of itself is not inherently upsetting, and um, an android like in Blade Runner that looks perfectly human is not upsetting because we mistake it for human. But there is a point at which a thing is it can be a cute robot and a cute robot as it approaches human likeness. But that at, there's a certain point at which it approaches human likeness but is still discernible as inhuman, which it flips in a radical like dropping off a cliff it, it, that it is utterly horrifying and repulsive. Like a cucumber to a cat. There's just something, you know, you, we go, oh, no, 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 no. Get away. Get run. Run for your life. That, that, that has been described as the uncanny valley. If you say, oh, it's cute, it's cute, it's cute, it's cute. It's horrifying. <laughs> um, oh, it's human. It's not? What are you talking about? It's human, right? On the, you know, because when, when, the, when the robot becomes indistinguishable from human, passes the Turing test and whatever, then we accept it. Yeah. But but just before that is this like, no, 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 definitely not human, but way too close to human. And there's something in this movie and the design of this 
that really puts its finger on that place of it's recognizable as human, but there's a dash of spider leg and crab claw in there. And, and it's, you know, it's not just a body that's been mutilated. It's a body that has been mutated. You know, there's too many arms. There's too many fingers. And the, the number of too many fingers is calculated to be as upsetting as possible. <laughs> you know, like seeing six of six fingered hand is upsetting. But, they're, they, you know, oh, well, if you see a 10 fingered hand, oddly, that's kind of funny. You know, I, I don't I don't I don't know where I'm going with this, except it's very effective in these effects as saying, well, this is an organism that doesn't know anything about us. And it's taking the maps that are in our genes and it's trying to replicate them. And it, it's a challenge for this thing. Like it's it takes it a minute. It can't just emulate this thing it doesn't know. It needs to sort of work on it for a while. And it keeps getting interrupted in that process. Yeah. And the state we see it in that interrupted state is Utterly horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Utterly horrifying. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. There's a great scene uh, with uh, where they're doing, they have, um, I think it's right after the where to text the dogs. And they've, you know, hit it with the uh, flamethrower and all that. And so they have this big kind of blob on the, on the table and Wilford Brimley is dissecting it. And right. he's like, you know what we have here? And and I've got to say, I think this is the best Wilford Brimley has ever been. You know, he, I agree. He's just this curmudgeon guy. And he was 50 years old when this movie came out. He's 50. I agree. <laughs> and no mustache. It's no the mustache. only Wilford yeah. Brimley thing I can remember him in where he doesn't have that wonderful mustache. Exactly. Exactly. But he's dissecting this and he's pulling out and he's like, this seems to be, you know, this is a, this is a, uh, heart and pair of lungs you know and then he's looking at and part of it is like dog fur and he says he's like in this he's like is that dog that's not a dog that's a you know a simulation of a dog and i love that scene where he's he's just kind of going through you know taking out the it makes me want to try a wilford brimley impersonation i just yeah. all you have to do is just say diabetes right Diabetes. Diabetes. <laughs> There's a great. Uh, I'll have to sit. Diabetes. Here. There's a great. Uh, some YouTube videos of this guy that does an impression of, of uh, Wilfred Brimley, like doing diabetes commercials, and it's it's hilarious. I'll have to send that to you. But yeah, send um, that to me. Yeah, but um, yeah. So you know, another thing that I, another thing that I think is great about this movie, is we're in the time of remakes and reboots and mm-hmm. uh prequels and all that and i'm you know i had a time where it was just like oh they're remaking everything and this is terrible you know and now i'm just every basically everything that we've ever loved is going to get remade and sure. and it's fine hey, listen i'll interrupt you for a second yeah sure. it's fine like the problem is is that they do it and it sucks that's right. the problem yeah I, i'm not precious about like if somebody went and remade star wars and it was awesome yeah. That would be awesome, right? But nobody's going to remake Star Wars and it's going to be awesome. It's just going to suck. Yeah. And that's, I think, why we reject it. It's like, no, the studio comes in here and owns the property and it makes some half-baked rebake. And it's it's disappointing because you love the original so much you want to check it out and then you come out feeling dirty and, and disappointed like you threw your money away. Right. If it was the, the the concept of remaking or a prequel or something is not bad in and of itself, it's just that it's so often done terribly. Exactly, exactly. And this anyway, was, go ahead. So the thing, the nineteen eighty two was a remake of a movie from the nineteen fifty one called uh, the thing. Is it? I don't. I can never remember if it's a thing from another world or a thing from another planet. But anyway, I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but it's Mm-mm. this old black and white movie, and it's it's. Uh, um, it's just kind of hokey, you know, it's a guy in a suit and everything. So by doing this, John Carpenter was taking that story and he elevated it because it was like, okay, we have the effects now that we don't have to, it doesn't have to be just a guy in a suit. We can do all this crazy stuff. And that's the thing that I, the thing, no pun intended, that I think, you know, studios could learn from this 
when you're going to do a remake, you know, if they remake The Exorcist or Jaws or whatever, they're not, and like you said, Star Wars, they're not going to improve on it. It's not like the acting is, you're going to improve on the acting in Jaws. Or, you know, what are you going to do? Okay, you have computer right. effects now, so you can make the shark fly or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. But so just take, to uh, but it'll be interject, just to make the point. Sure. Jaws, it's not about a shark. Yeah. Right. What makes Jaws great is not the shark. The shark is not what makes Jaws great. It's it, the shark is just the symbol. It's just the obstacle. It's just the adversary. Then the, these guys come together and it's a portrait of the mayor and the, you know, the people who mishandle the situation and underestimate the situation and don't take it seriously. And it ends up with these three guys in a boat mm-hmm. trying to stop. Trying to confront the problem. The yeah. shark is just the problem. It's not about, oh, the giant shark. The, well, anyway, I, I go on a big rant sure, about that. Sure, sure, yeah. I, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing and with you. To me, the way you do a remake is a situation like this where if all you're going to do is just put different people in the roles, what's the point? You know, like I say, you 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 remake The Exorcist, you know, Okay, you can you have computer graphics so you can make her spin around and fly around the room or whatever, but it's not going to be any more scary than the original movie. So, I think something like and you can, you know, people can debate about how successful this was. It was a movie that I liked, but um when Peter Jackson did King Kong a few years ago, mm-hmm. The original King Kong, whatever you want to say, you know, from 1931 or whenever it came out, you can say, okay, it's a classic movie or whatever, but it was a, you know, a miniature puppet that they used stop motion animation to you, you watch it today and it's very hokey. So in 2005 or whenever King Kong came out, they had the technology with computer animation that they could, they could make the the ape must much more realistic, you know? So to me, take old things like this or, or something that they didn't really have the budget to do what they wanted to do with it or whatever. Those are the kind of movies to remake in my opinion, but not just, if you're just putting new people in the roles, what's the point? I feel I, I would argue, I agree, but I would also argue that you have an extra burden on you. Like I think, what made King Kong revolutionary at the time was not just the effects, but the concept, mm-hmm. right? The concept of bringing a giant monster into the heart of New York City was a, a, a new concept, right? right, on screen. And and Peter Jackson, whom I think is a genius and you know, there is a lot in that movie, like the bug scene when they're on the island and all the kind of giant prehistoric bugs are eating them. Like, God, that was so upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot in that movie that is remarkable, but I didn't think the net effect of that movie, I didn't walk out of there being like, new classic. <laughs> you right. know, I walked yeah. out of there being like, that was really uneven and way too long, and I'm exhausted, and I don't definitely feel like long. I want to come see that one again, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, and they got. I think Andy Circus was the was Kong, right? Yes. So I mean, he's a genius. You know, well, you know what I mean. It's not that. It's not that. A movie is many things, but I think the ones that stick with us have this kind of conceptual theme that everybody in the production is kind of in sync with, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why I keep saying I think it comes down to the director because he's the oh, one absolutely. who approves. He or she is the one that approves. They are the one that approves everything. And, you know, someone can do the special effects and the director says, yeah, great. Or the director says, mm, I really want it to be a little more this way, right? So the one we're going to talk about next week, which I've, is is fun, I have a comment uh, to talk about in this way too, that it just feels like there are elements of the movie that don't line up with the movie that I like the movie, but there's elements of it that didn't seem to fall in line. And I think you have to put that on the director. Sure. Cause they are the one that has veto power over this or that. So, but um, if somehow you're going to do Kong, you need to, you need to get at the concept. Like just because, Oh, that, that Kong was crazy. Let's remake Kong. 
The question is kind of why. Like, why are you remaking it? Most of the time, it just feels like they're remaking it because they've got a budget and they need a big tentpole thing, and it's, right. it's purely a money-making endeavor. Let's put this classic property in the hands of someone, you know, young and eager who's looking for a gig, and we'll, you know, let them try and spin a tested beloved property into gold the second time. And it almost never works. Right. It almost never works. Godzilla is a perfect example. I don't know if they're making that for for Asian markets or what, but Godzilla has never re- resonated with an American audience. It seems like one of those purely Japanese properties. Mm-hmm. Something about the kind of ancient gods arising from the elements and devastating the metropolis just feels like it's, I don't know, it's a Japanese thing. Because Americans just don't, we love a monster movie, but the idea of, oh, it's a lizard, oh, but it's it's like a T-Rex, but kind of just, I don't know, but it's huge and it just tears up the city. Um. Uh-oh. I mean, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it doesn't chime with anything in the American ethos. And this is my personal opinion, of course. I'm not a scholar. I don't I can't defend this, but I I've been left and I like I watch anime about Godzilla. I watch it. I there's just something fundamental I, I don't get about it. Like it's just a big lizard? That's mm-hmm. the Oh, it's one of the ancient gods. It goes uh oh, oh okay. I mean, is that a Shinto thing? I don't I don't get there's something really fundamental that I just don't get about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the lone man against you know th- there's American exceptionalism and is the one guy one man dared to brave the fight. That's an American thing, yeah. right? Um, and we're afraid of the thing in the dark and we're afraid of the other alien. You know we're afraid of we're xenophobes. I mean these things these things resonate with an American audience. Um, but just to get back to remaking something. You're right. You're going to put a young cast in there and they're going to be more satisfying on screen than Harrison Ford or Kurt Russell or like, no, I just makes me want to go watch the original again. Exactly. And along this truck fire once just, I don't know, digitally remaster it or some re-release. You don't even need to go make the, you spend a fraction of the money re-celebrating the original. Well, and they did exactly what you're talking about. So in 2011, I don't, I don't know if you've seen it before or not. But they did The Thing, which is a remake slash prequel. So it's about the, and it's worth watching. I mean, it's it's not it's not poorly done, but it's about the Norwegian uh, guys. And the movie leads right up to the very moment that the 1982 film begins. But oh, what, that's interesting yeah, with the dogs. Yeah, but what they did with it is again it's this thing where you're not doing anything different you're not elevating it it's just it's basically just the exact same story and they did everything they could to make it as look as much like the original movie as possible now what they did is they um did practical effects and then the studio people were like oh we don't think this looks real enough and so they went over it with digital stuff so uh, you're watching a 2011 movie and the effects don't look as good as the 1982 movie. So it, like I say, it, it's worth watching. It's not bad. And it's neat to see, you know, how it leads up to the first one. But it just you watch it and it just it's just like this is totally unnecessary. We didn't really need to know about these Norwegian guys, you know, and, and what happened. But so right, they yeah. find the thing and cut it out of the ice. And it's it's the whole. Yeah. And it has Mary, it has Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it, which I think she's supposed to be. It's been, I last saw it. I saw it in the theater in 2011 when it came out and I didn't watch it again. But, um, but I mean, it's like I say, it's, it's worth watching. It has a 6.2 on, on IMDb, but another Hmm. thing that I wanted to bring up. So we, you know, we think of this movie as a classic and it is now, but it flopped and this was, uh, and this is incredible. Now this, I knew some of this, I knew um, a little bit. I didn't know. Um, so this movie, when it came out in 1982, the thing came out the same day as E.T. <laughs> and Blade Runner. Oh my God. The same E.T. and Blade Runner came out on the same day. On the same day. And I did not know that. This I did not know. 
um, our friend uh, Doug Burnside brought this up on Facebook. Megaforce came out the same day too. So that was one that we covered a couple of weeks ago. The, and the well, thing, that's why Megaforce didn't do better, obviously. Exactly. But the thing debuted in eighth place. So we had, and this is, and this again is the thing of it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around this now because when, when theaters were a thing that people went to, uh, you know, now it's every weekend there's a new movie and it's there for a couple of weeks and then we're on to the next thing. But you know, when, when we were kids, stuff stayed in the theater much longer but this, these were the top movies that weekend. So E.T. was number one, Blade Runner number two, Firefox was third, Rocky three, Firefox. Rocky three, Star Trek two, The Wrath of Khan, Annie, Poltergeist, Wrath of Khan. Oh my, Poltergeist, Poltergeist, The Thing, Megaforce. They re-released Bambi. Uh, Porky's was number twelve. Chariots of Fire was in the theater. Um, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, Diner, Conan the Barbarian. These were all movies in the theater at the same time. You, you're making me so sad because mm-hmm. it's been such a long, dry season of like, I mean, I guess it's like straight to Netflix or straight to HBO now. I, I, you know, the pandemic has just kind of iced the cake, but yeah, I, I miss those days of like, yeah, I'm going to go to a movie tonight and, and not being able to decide what it was you wanted to watch. I mean, like, think about having yeah. so many choices you were excited to see that you're like, I don't know. I can't decide what to go see. And what's funny is, you know, again, the thing, the thing flopped. It's a classic now. Blade Runner wasn't, I mean, it was in second place, but it wasn't well. People didn't get it, you know. People um, didn't get it. The Alamo Draft House did a thing uh, a few years ago that would have been for the, uh, I guess it would have been 2012 for the anniversary. They did a summer long thing, uh, 1982, the greatest uh, movie summer of all time. And just all summer long, they just showed just all these movies from, from, and I I thought, wow, it would have been cool to live. You know, I didn't live near an Alamo draft house, but that would have been so much fun to just go to all these movies that, you know, Absolutely. I didn't see the thing. I've done or... that with you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can't sit that long because of my back, but I'd have spent a whole weekend at the movies drinking beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but other than like I saw E.T. and Rocky Three in the movie theater with my with my dad or with my parents, but you know, none of those other movies I didn't, you know, The Thing and uh Star Trek Two and Mad Max Two and all oh, you know, man. I didn't see the Conan the Barbarian, I didn't see those movies in the theater, you know. But isn't that that's just crazy to think about? That is crazy. That makes me nostalgic. <laughs> so okay, we're almost at time. So I mean, I think an enthusiastic thumbs up from both of us. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, like it's uh, it's horror, it's sci-fi, it's horror first, and with a sci-fi angle on it. Uh, hey, one but, more. Th- one, this is one more thing that I was thinking about this week, and this is this is kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like old man get off my lawn or whatever because i love new movies you know there's tons of new things that come out that i enjoy but does it seem like now we're saying you know maybe these movies weren't all that appreciated until later but was sci-fi a bigger thing in the 80s than what it is now in terms of of films because you know we're getting so much of the sci-fi that we're getting now is just remakes and reboots. So it's, you know, Star Wars and they keep making Terminator movies and they keep making alien movies. But, you know, the only thing that I can really think of, you know, in the early 2000s, we had the Matrix, which now there, you know, there's another Matrix movie coming out. But it seemed like in the 80s, there was a lot of sci-fi stuff. And like I say, we have Star Wars. I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are sci-fi and the, um, the Marvel movies you know, kind of dip yeah, into sci-fi. sci-fi, but, but it's half fantasy, half sci-fi. Yeah, but do you feel like there's, there's just not that, that much sci-fi release con- now? I think it's been kind of consolidated. Um, I think it's been kind of consolidated and the interesting sci-fi that I'm seeing is on these streaming services. Right. Um, and they've been, they're adaptations of novels. I know that one of the streaming services is, is doing a new series of the three body problem, which is a, it's the first book of a series 
by a Chinese author. I'm just starting to read the three body. Okay. When I'm excited about it, but it's sweeping in scope. And one of my favorite watches is the Expanse, mm-hmm. which started on Sci-Fi and which Amazon, I guess, is now acquired, and it's in its fifth season. Um, but they they. And, and there's a little overlap with fantasy like Game of Thrones where they can tell these, you know, there's a kind of a limitless expansion of the, of, it's universe building. So like the Marvel Cinematic Universe with a, a straight decade there going up through Infinity War or whatever it was, um, it allows them to continue unpacking and exploring and expanding this universe um, that they create and I can see the financial appeal of that but what you get is less universes mm-hmm. right you spend more time in a single universe and and less time you know in these kind of because a, a movie is a more or less used to be a one-off model uh, mm-hmm. there were sequels but nobody really used to make a movie expecting you know like vying for a sequel they wouldn't set it up as a franchise definitely something like the thing they didn't do that you know no and if it was a smash hit then then the studio would be like how do we make another one of this Mm -hmm. you know um and but you know and then in the 90s and the 2000s we really start to see people at the end of a movie setting it up for a sequel see here's how we could continue this if you throw money at me yeah and I, I just think that I think that there was in that time frame it was a, a it was a way of telling a story in another setting that you didn't have to play by quite the same rules, right? You could make up some of the parameters mm-hmm. and that was appealing to people. And I think there's also a little bit of fatigue feeling like, you know, all of the great sci fi stories have been told. And I would just say that it comes back around to like Jaws is not about the shark, mm-hmm. right? It's it's about human relationships and the shark is the embodiment of fear. So showing more of the shark doesn't make the movie scarier, mm-hmm. right? That the, you, you need, need to figure out ways in which people come into proximity to the shark or there's a near miss or what they're going to do to stop the shark because it seems so insurmountable. Um, it's the same thing with Cthulhu and, and Lovecraft is it's the concept that is horrifying. It's not that you have a big boss fight at the end with Cthulhu. Yeah. Right. Or instead of just Cthulhu, oh no, he's got a million mini Cthulhus. That just is numbing. Watching a fight with CGI Cthulhus is, it's not storytelling, you know? Right. Um, along those lines. I don't know. I just. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I think it's not that people have writers have gotten lazy. It's just that the money that's on the table from the studios and the it's shifted, right? Writers yeah. in professional writers are gonna and directors are gonna try and make stuff that they think people are gonna want to watch. Sure, and well, that is that has always been. There's been a gatekeeper of the people who have the money, and that's just changed around a lot. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely more the. I mean, I place the blame on the the studios. You know, if suddenly somebody does a big sci-fi movie and it's huge um you know they're gonna make sci-fi movies but i you know i think there will always be i definitely don't think we've they've run out of ideas with sci-fi and a couple of good examples of that i think are you know in recent years um have you seen ex machina and and or annihilation same same director did both of those movies yeah yeah so and i mean those were great you know original original films i feel i love i own ex machina i love it yeah, ex machina is great i didn't ex machina if you want i didn't think uh yeah that would be one that would be great to cover sometime i didn't think i didn't enjoy annihilation as much it's good but but i loved ex it's machina. definitely out of the box yeah yeah annihilation is definitely out of the box i feel like the studio there was a bigger budget and the studio had its fingers in it more i'd say like, you're right bigger more how can we make this more you know and there's a couple Mm -hmm. of jump scares in there that don't feel like his style that i felt like the studio must have insisted on yeah yeah to try and make it fit a template um that ex machina doesn't ex machina is really just a three-hander right four-hander it depends on you know but it's really two guys and a girl um yeah (laughs) one of them's a robot (laughs) it could be a sitcom i mean it's it's a great 
It's great. Yeah. One <laughs> that'd be a funny YouTube thing. <laughs> one quick one quick thing before we leave the thing. We didn't talk about the ending. So when we yes. get to the end, so Kurt Russell, he blows up the station and he's you know, he's just kind of hanging out there and there's you know, there's fire around him and he's out in the cold at night. And then Keith David comes walking up and I think he says something like, Are you the thing? You know, it's like I'm not, are you? And uh, basically they're going, you know, and he says uh, the, you know, the, the fire elevated the temperature, but that's not going to last long. And it's basically like they're just going to and, and uh, Kurt Russell says something like, um, you know, if if one of us is the thing or or whatever, it, none of us, neither of us are in any shape to do anything about it. So they're basically the ending of the movie is you guess they're just going to just sit there and die. Is one of them the thing? Well, I, I have to assume it's not Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. I thought it was sort of, I thought that the, uh, I thought the other guy was, mm-hmm. but it just comes back around to no one's getting out of this alive. Yeah. It's a zombie movie, really. Sure. There, there is no escape. They're like, oh, if we can get out of the mall, we can get to a car. Where are you going to go? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a military place where that hasn't been infected. There's not, <laughs> you know. There's a military place. It's been infected. They're all zombies, right? I mean, you might. F- That's why I think The Walking Dead is such an interesting thing. Is it posits that some people do survive a, vo- a zombie apocalypse, and then the real challenge is how do you, you know, now that society has been completely destroyed, how do we rebuild that from nothing, right? And that the, the the human survivors are, are in many cases more dangerous than the walking dead. Yeah. Because there are no rules anymore. It's every man for himself. So how do you convince uh, the population of living that are living under no, you know, every man for himself rules that it would be better if we imposed some civilization rules on it and go from there you know really great really great way of taking the zombie concept and and seeing okay so given that what's next but the classic zombie movie nobody walked away from right (laughs) nobody walked away from you you know you think you get to the other place oh there's zombies there like there's no it's the dead you're not gonna get away from them and i gotta say if the zombie apocalypse happens, you know, there's these people that kind of romanticize. It's like, oh, and the zombie apocalypse apocalypse happens, you know, that's going to be my time to shine. You know, I'll have my gun and my... Why? Yeah, because you're a psychopath? Yeah. I mean, what, what are you talking I, about? I do not want to live in the zombie apocalypse. You know, it's... No, uh, I'm not a survivor. I'm one of those guys that would blow his head exactly, off. Exactly, exactly. I don't want to... It's the same thing where I... Uh, my, my brother-in-law likes to tease me about this, but... Uh, uh, there was a show a few years ago where I don't even remember what it was called, but that was on TV. I didn't watch it, but it was like something happened where all the power went out in the world. You know, it was like sun flares or something. And it's like, you know, there was no electricity and they're pretty much uh, revert back to kind of colonial times. Everybody rides a horse and, you know, you got to, you know, make your own food and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I'll just shoot myself. I don't want to live, you know, when there's no electricity. I could probably survive that, but I don't think I could survive a world where you, you know, you didn't feel like you could go to sleep because some corpse was going to eat you alive, Yeah, you know, or if not that, some roving band, some, you know, local self-appointed warlord was going to, you know, find you and rape your whole family and then eat your flesh. I just... When there's nothing, it's like just being alive isn't so great. I'm depressive. So, you know, just just being alive in and of itself isn't such a great thing. It's no. all the comforts. It's getting to talk about movies. Exactly, and yeah. Drink craft beer and, like, you know, play with your kids on the swing set and yeah. play in a garden and watch it grow. And, you know, I don't want to have to fight off. Yeah, if every day we're just <laughs> trying to – Every day we're just trying to survive, I don't – I'm not. That's rough. That's rough living, man. Yeah, we'll probably we'll have to do a zombie movie at some at some point. Have we not done a zombie movie? Uh, Not. I mean, I guess the hidden is kind of sort of like that. But yeah, I don't. We haven't really. We haven't really done zombie adjacent. Yeah, we haven't really done a zombie movie. Anyway, we're gonna have to come up with one. We're we're pretty over time, so let's wrap it up. Two enthusiastic thumbs up. Absolutely, from both of us on this one. 
uh, for next time, we're, you know, I kind of pressured Chris because I, I had watched this early on since we last recorded. And I last night I was downstairs and on the couch watching the TV. I wanted something. I just wanted to get the next one out of the way. So Chris's recommendation was that we watch The Guest starring Dan Stevens. I think it's from 20... 2014. 14? I think so, yeah. So it's a relatively recent one. It's um, I guess it's an action. It's kind of a thriller. Um, I think under underseen, a, it wasn't like a giant blockbuster or anything. But I, I, I had never heard of it. it. Yeah. I had never heard of it. And I, I like Dan Stevens quite a bit. So um, that's what we're going to talk about next time. Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. Hit us up on all the socials. Tyler Livingston, if you're still listening, thanks for the shout out. Tyler recommended we watch Rubber, and we may get to that one. That is about a uh, a tire that comes to life and kills people. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's an interesting trailer. Um, you'd say you'd seen that one? I have. I saw it when it originally came out. Yeah, when Chris? it came out on video. Can you hear me? You saw it? So I don't know. Yeah. We should talk about it more. Yeah. Are you still there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So... Um, you know, we may we may get to that one, but for next time, we're doing The Guest. Um, and check it out with us. And until then, we will talk to you next week.